Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai It's 8 a.m. Central African time if you're just joining us. Good morning. We still have one more hour to go of Africa Rise and Shine. Uh, my name is Samora Mangesi and you're listening to Channel Africa, where we always give you news from an African perspective. We're coming to you live from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa, and we are on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and uh, on 11925 kHz on the 25-meter band to Far West Africa and on DSTV Audio Bouquet's Channel 802. I'm in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisole Hoko, and Figilelengwati. Top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at this hour. East African community heads of state meet in Tanzania. Malawi's presidential candidates to submit their nomination papers. And in economics, tax on social networks has reduced the number of internet users in Uganda. And lastly, in sports, South African under-20 football team prepared to take on Nigeria. But first, let's get an update from uh, Anne Musa with regards to the news. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. South Africa's International Relations Department says it appreciates the concerns that some Western countries have raised about corruption in South Africa, but adds that established diplomatic protocols should have been followed. The U.S., U.K., the Netherlands, Germany and Switzerland, through their diplomatic heads in South Africa, wrote directly to President Cyril Ramaphosa, telling him to act against corruption. In recent weeks, former Bosasa employee that have testified before the Commission of Inquiry into State Capture in Parktown in Johannesburg have implicated government officials in corruption with the company. International Relations Minister Lindui Sisulu will meet with the representatives of the five countries later in the day. Sisulu spokesperson Ndubo Mabaya says they are concerned about the five countries' departure from established diplomatic protocol. They are like- Welcome to the concern about corruption. They are welcome to the concern about uh, any other issue that has been raised by investors. But all we are saying is that there is protocol. They write also to other departments, to other ministers. They write to a number of other organizations. These are issues that have been raised by our own organizations in South Africa, business unity, labor, and non-governmental organizations. We all know that the South African government is attending to all of this. The Zimbabwean government has remained mum on reports that the country's vice president, Constantino Chiwenga, has been flown to South Africa for medical treatment. Chiwenga played a prominent role in paving way for former President Robert Mugabe to leave office. Correspondent Ifit Musakiwa says government officials have neither confirmed nor denied the reports that Chiwenga is in a Cape Town hospital in South Africa's Western Cape province. It's unconfirmed yet whether Vice President Chuenga is indeed in South Africa. The government has been mum. I've tried calling some officials from the Ministry of Information. We have professed uh, ignorance as to the whereabouts of the uh, Vice President, but we do understand or we do get information that he has been airlifted to to a Cape Town hospital. Yesterday, both Chuenga and President Munangaga were supposed to attend uh, a ZANU-PF thank you rally in Marshall and Central Mount Darwin, 
but both were absent. A peace deal between the government of the Central African Republic and 14 rebel groups has been struck after talks in Sudan. The deal was announced by the UN mission in the Central African Republic, known as MINUSCA, and the African Union, which both sponsored the talks in Khartoum. AU Commissioner Smel Shugay lauded the signing as a great day for Central African Republic and all its people. The government said the peace deal would be signed in Bangui soon. Details of the agreement have not been released, and analysts called that previous peace deals have all collapsed. The Central African Republic was plunged into turmoil in 2013 when rebels from the Seleka Umbrella Group seized power in the majority Christian country. Representatives from both sides in the Yemen conflict have met on a ship on the Red Sea in a UN-led push to implement a stalled troop withdrawal from, U- uh, from Yemen's main port of Odeida. The United Nations is overseeing the implementation of a ceasefire and troop withdrawal accord in Hodeida. The warring parties were meant to withdraw their forces by the 7th of January as part of efforts to avert a full-scale assault on Hodeida. They failed to do so as the Iranian-allied Houthi the group and the Saudi-backed government disagree on who should control the city and ports. And finally, U.S. President Donald Trump has repeated his intention to withdraw U.S. troops from Syria. However, speaking to the television network CBS, he said he would retain troops in Iraq to, as he puts it, watch Iran. I want to be looking a little bit at Iran because Iran is a real problem. We have an unbelievable an expensive military base built in Iraq. It's perfectly situated for looking at all over different parts of the troubled Middle East. Mm -hmm. Rather than pulling up, we're going to keep watching and we're going to keep seeing. And if there's trouble, if somebody's looking to do nuclear weapons or other things, we're going to know it before they do. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Today is Monday the 4th of February. It is the 35th day of 2019 and there are 330 days left in the year. Can you believe that we're already 35 days into the year 2019? Now taking you back a little bit, back to the year 2002, today World Cancer Day was founded by the Union for International Cancer Control to raise awareness and to encourage its prevention, detection and treatment. So, yeah, just a little bit of FYI. You can go around the office today and tell people that you know something that they don't. Now, Nigeria refugees are too traumatized to return anytime soon. This is according to a senior official from the UN Humanitarian Affairs Office, OCHA, who has been at the Cameroonian border. Now, around 35,000 people have fled from extremist violence in the northeast Nigerian town of Ran in the past two weeks. Now, dozens have also been killed during a large-scale Boko Haram assault. Now, OCHA's uh, Jean Sebastien Muni describes the scene at the border. Well, it's what we used to call a massive influx of populations in distress. I mean, these people have crossed for their safety. 
And um, right now they are, as you can see, hanging around. There's a lot of organization coming to help, but it's very uh, what we call an acute emergency. We have around us about 27, 30,000 people that just arrived. And what services are they being provided with? Well, they are provided with services in all sectors that are of acute emergency response, but not in enough quantity so far. So we have to scale up and we are mobilizing resource, human resource, financial resource and goods. Right now the, the stocks are too short to cope with the demands. Do you get a sense of how fearful the people here are of what's happened to them? Yes, we unfortunately have a sense. As uh, two days ago, again, we have re confirmed report of people being killed in Iran, where they came from. Um, Boko Haram, for instance, used to kill the men and send the spouse back here just to pass on the message of terror they want to pass through. Right now, Iran is in the hand of the Nigerian government, but yet these people are too traumatized to return in any way sooner or later. Yeah. How traumatized do you think they are? Well, it's, it's hard to imagine once it would happen to you, uh, you lost your goods or you can save some goods, but look around, it's very few indeed. Uh, and it was not the first attack in Iran on the 14th of January, there was the third one in 10 months row, uh, which means that at some point the, the fear is over even your will to stay in your own country. I mean, you, they are really here looking for security and safety, and that's it. Are you hopeful for what happens next? Well, I'm uh, concerned of what can happen next. I'm hopeful for these people because, yes, we're going to take care of them in a much better way in the coming days and weeks, but I'm not so hopeful that the situation was, will uh, improve in Nigeria with what happened with Boko Haram for, for the last months. And that is Jean-Sebastien Mouni, senior official from the UN Humanitarian Affairs Office, talking to UN News, uh, Daniel Dickinson. East Africa's head of state met in Arusha, Tanzania on Friday as a dark cloud of unresolved long-standing trade spats, tariff and non-tariff barriers and crippling financial challenges hang over the block. For Kenya and Tanzania, talks on trade in sugar and tobacco hit a dead end after the EAC secretariat was accused of failing to resolve the outstanding issue over the past seven months. Rwanda has recently experienced simmering diplomatic tensions with Burundi and Uganda over long-running security concerns that threaten to spin out of control. Channel Africa's Gabriel Zakaria has more from Arusha. Among the agenda of the summit was the report of the Council on the implementation of nine previous decisions of the summit, including status of ratification of protocols, resolution of long-standing non-tariff barriers, and a progress report on the adoption of political confederation as a transitional model of the East African political federation. The outgoing chairman of the East African Community Council of Ministers, Dr. Ali Kivijinja, said it was important for the partner states to think of the region before the national interests if they are to support the private sector. That out of 62 non-tariff barriers that were brought to the attention of the council, 45 have been resolved, while 17 are still pending. Only two. 
Speaking after handing over to President Paul Kagame, President Yoweri Museveni of Uganda warned that the private sector in the region will not grow if the community failed to solve the high cost of doing business among partner states. He cited the cost of power, which he said the region is working on. However, the private sector cannot grow, cannot come in if you do not solve the problem of the high costs of doing business in an economy. East Africa, there are four pushers of cost of doing business. Pusher number one is absence or high cost of electricity. That one I can tell you that East African countries are handling to have enough electricity that is also cheap. The second one is the high cost of transport. And I can tell you that the East African countries are handling that issue of the high cost of transport by building modern railways. A modern railway is being built from Kenya to Uganda, to those places. Another is being built from Dar es Salaam to lower the cost of transport. President Paul Kagame, who takes over from his Ugandan counterpart, Yuri Museven, called on all East Africans to ensure that the community works for the common good since it is a people-centered institution and its success will be measured by the number of people benefiting from its programs. We cannot afford to fall behind, particularly when the East African community was starting to make good progress. It is up to us to ensure that this community works for us as it should. Nothing should hold us back from the important business that we have committed to for our collective good, including trade, infrastructure, industrialization, and security. As leaders of the community, we therefore need to come together in a spirit of solidarity and unity for the benefit and well-being of the citizens of our region. Other decisions of the summit were a review of the East African Development Bank Charter to align it with the East African community, a roadmap for accelerated integration of South Sudan, and the verification for the admission of the Somalia into the East African community. The summit received a progress report that the verification exercise for the admission of the Federal Republic of Somalia into the East African community had not been undertaken. The summit directed the Council to follow up on the matter and report to the 21st summit. Reporting for Channel Africa in Arusha, Tanzania, this is Gabriel Zakaria. Hi, I'm Pulemulebazi, the presenter of the Albinism Report a program that demystifies myths and mysticism on albinism, highlighting challenges and achievements of people with albinism. Tune into the Albinism Report on the following times, Monday, 5 past 9 in the morning to quarter to 10 Central African time, and from 5 past 10 to quarter to 11 Central African time, Tuesday at 5 past 2 in the morning to quarter to 3 Central African time. The Albinism Report, an enlightened narrative with me, Ule Mulebati, on Channel Africa from an African perspective.
A presentation of presidential and parliamentary nomination papers begins today in Malawi. This comes two and a half months before Malawians elect a president, parliamentarians, as well as ward councillors. Political violence is being reported in some parts of the country as tensions rise ahead of the elections. George Mahango has more from Blantyre. 20 presidential candidates before today, Monday, had collected nomination papers from the Malawi Electoral Commission, MEC. Surprisingly, as of this day, some candidates have pulled out already in the name of forming electoral alliances. Those that have pulled out are former President Joyce Banda of the People's Party PP, former Vice President Kasim Chirumpa, Mark Katsongapiri of People's Progressive Movement PPM, Inok Chihana of the Alliance for Democracy Afford. All these have formed an alliance with current Vice President of Malawi, Saulos Chilima, who resigned from the ruling Democratic Progressive Party, DPP, and formed his political party called United Transformation Movement, UTM. Joyce Band has since backed the candidature of Chilima and whoever would be picked as running mate. For me, I have no problem at all. Honorable Saulos Klaus Chilima is a very young, able gentleman. And he can lead this nation. And he has already been vice president. And he has been in the private sector for many years. Failure by political party presidential candidates to name running mates has not gone down well with some political analysts as they believe this is not fair democratically. Blanta-based political analyst Victor Chipofia thinks supporters and voters have the right to know in advance. There is a lack of patriotism and greed that always takes factor with uh, with our vice president and the president. Uh, uh, of course, it's, oh, it's normal in the struggle for power. But I think if people are working towards achieving a common goal, which at the end of the day, on my, on my, in my opinion, is to develop Malawi, there's no way to be greedy for power. It's better, two is better than one. But you see, the vice presidents we've had all the time, they've wanted to take the position of the president. So my question has always been, you are already in the office of the presidency. Why can you not work together with the one that's in charge now so that you can achieve what you're saying now? Because you're already in a position of influence. Chilima and others, except Lazarus Chakwera, of the main opposition Malay Congress party have yet to name their running mates. For Chilima, it is not yet known whether he will choose from the list of political figures that have partnered him in an electoral alliance. Chilima has few hours to do so as he is due to present his papers this Wednesday. Electoral laws in Malawi indicate that any presidential candidate has to be accompanied by his chosen running mate who in the event of victory becomes vice president of the country. During a press briefing, Chilima was upbeat about political alliances and choice of his running mate. Do we have a running mate? Yes, we do. And perhaps the right moment to do that is at the submission of the papers. Uh, You want a a, a nice surprise on the day. So let's let's leave that to the day so that uh, we anticlimax it with uh, the much-anticipated excitement and we we give it the pomp that it deserves. 
the, the one thing that we will say to you is that you will not be disappointed. Just this Monday, main opposition MCP leader Chakwera and his running mate Sirik Mia are due to be the first to submit presidential nomination papers to the commission at Komisa Hall in the commercial capital Blantyre. Incumbent President Peter Mtarika of the Democratic Progressive Party DPP is due to submit his this Friday, which is the last day. Topmost on President Mtarika's presentation of nomination papers on Friday, February 8, is the naming of his running mate. Mtarika has continued keeping a tight lead on who his running mate would be. Mtarika maintains that he is the right person to lead Malawi for the next five years. But news has it that he wants to partner at Pere Molozi, president of the United Democratic Front, UDF. Molozi is son to former president and founder of UDF, Bakili Molozi, who ruled Malawi between 1994 and 2004. His successor, who won on the UDF ticket in 2004, pause, thus former president, the late Bingo Amtarika, resigned from the party in 2005 and formed the DPP. Amtarika has challenged his critics, including the former first Lady Kalista Mtarika to stop castigating him and his party. I won't say more, but I tell him for me that two things he did in his life. One was to select George Banda as running man, and two, by marrying that woman. And that's the truth. God is my witness. Make has since appealed to all candidates and their supporters to observe their respective time allocated to them during presentation of nomination papers. The total number of verified voters is about 6.8 million out of the recently publicized National Population and Housing Census of 2018, according to the Electoral Commission. This is the sixth time that Malawians vote since a referendum for the second multi-party democracy in 1994. Through such a referendum, the majority of Malawians voted against the one-party rule of the Malay Congress Party and a first president, the late Hastings Kamuzubanda, who died in 1997. George Mohango, Channel Africa, Blanta. The time is now 8.21 Central African time. You are still listening to Africa Rise and Shine with myself, Samora Mangesi. Standing in for Lulugabu today. Hopefully she'll be back tomorrow. Uh, bright and early to welcome you into Tuesday this week. But moving on right now, the Economic Freedom Fighters is adamant that the week's State of the Nation address will be disrupted if South African President Cyril Ramaphosa does not make a statement about a Busasa donation. The utilities company is currently the subject of an explosive testimony before the Zondo Commission into State Capture. Uh, during an answer session uh, in Parliament, Ramaphosa said the donation came via his son Andile, but later retracted the statement. The EFF and the DA are demanding that Ramaphosa comes clean, saying he lied to Parliament. Sona is on Thursday, and Zeline Merrington has more. In November last year, President Cyril Ramaphosa was asked about a 500,000 rand donation from Bosasa to the alleged benefit of his son Andile. He assured MPs that his son had done above-board consulting for Bosasa. And this payment, I can assure you, Mr. Maimani, that I asked him at close range whether this was money that was obtained uh, illegally, unlawfully, and he said this was a service that was provided, and to this end, He actually even showed me a contract that he signed with Bosasa 
And if it turns out, Mr. Maimani, I can assure you, if it turns out that there is any illegality and corruption in the way that he has dealt with this matter, I will be the first, absolutely first, to make sure that he becomes accountable. Even if it means, I can assure you, even if it means that I am the one who will take him to the police station. Less than two weeks later, Ramaphosa retracted this statement, saying the 500,000 rand was actually a donation towards his ANC election campaign. But not everybody is buying this. The EFF is adamant that this week's owner will not go ahead unless Ramaphosa clears up the matter. The deputy EFF leader, Floyd Chivambu, says they won't tolerate lies. The simple and straightforward message that we're sending to a, a President Ramaphosa is that don't do what Jacob Zuma used to do. Don't come to Parliament and boldly tell lies there and you think that we're going to let you go with it. The DA has written to the public protector to investigate the matter. Spokesperson Soli Malazzi says they want Ramaphosa to come clean. We completely believe that um, he did not tell Parliament the whole truth and it is apparent that he may have lied because his initial response in the House was that he did not know anything personally to his benefit about the 500,000, which we now know that it was for funding his presidential campaign as the ANC president, but also even in his letter to the Speaker of Parliament, um, where it seems he was having an oopsie moment, um, realizing that what he told Parliament wasn't the whole truth. The president is not a member of parliament and therefore not subject to its rules. But political analyst Lawson Naidu says a committee could be set up to hold the president accountable. As he's not an MP, they can't refer to the ethics committee because that's only relevant to members of parliament. Uh, But regardless of that, parliament does have the power, should it so determine. Uh, It could, for example, uh, institute a committee to investigate the president's conduct in this regard and report back to the House. The House will then have to determine on the basis of that report uh, whether it's going to take any further action. Parliament spokesperson Moloto Mutapo wouldn't be drawn on this matter, saying they are focusing only on delivering a successful last sonar of the first Parliament. Zaline Merrington, Parliament. Channel Africa. Africa, rise and shine. I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Jean Noel Bamwisi, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzeka in Yawundi. Informing the world about Africa. Ntakwanangatani in Mohalizuk, Lesotho. And I am Dana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa. The UN health expert says the pain that cancer patients experience as a result of the disease or the treatment they are receiving is too often ignored. This World Cancer Day, Dr. Etienne Krich from the World Health Organization speaks about the progress made so far and some of the global challenges that remain in tackling the disease. 
Challenges with cancer are still multiple. Uh, we're still facing stigma and discrimination. We're still facing ignorance about the fact that many of these cancers can be treated if detected early. We're still facing the challenge of lack of access to diagnosis and treatment, so the challenges are multiple. On the other hand, a lot of progress is also being seen, and WHO has declared a new initiative on eliminating cervical cancer. We have started a new initiative on childhood cancer because most childhood cancers can be cured. We're also now launching new guidelines on the management of pain because most patients with pain due to cancer, and that's the majority of them, don't have access to a good treatment that would relieve the pain and improve their quality of life. But why do you need those new guidelines on pain management for cancer? 55% of patients who undergo treatment of cancer suffer pain. And when we talk about those with terminal cancer, we talk about 66%. And pain, as you know, doesn't allow to sleep, causes irritability, causes frustration, and makes it difficult for those patients to interact with their family and friends at the time where they need it the most, where they need that family support. It becomes difficult for them to engage. And it shouldn't be like that because we can't treat pain. It's not very expensive. We have the medicines. We have the methodology to do it. So it's a question of rolling that out throughout the world. When it comes to pain management and cancer, we hear a lot about opioids and there is a big fear of addiction. Do you think the fear of opioid addiction is a break to pain management for cancer? We have to find the right balance. There is a justified fear of opioid addiction if opioid is too accessible and circulates on the black market, etc. However, it shouldn't be because of that fear that patients die and live in pain. We should make the right medicines available to those who need it and have the systems in place so that there is no abuse. There was also a focus on cervical cancer. Cervical cancer is an important cancer. It's one of the leading cancers and the leading killers of women. It's more than 300,000 deaths every year. And now, with the development of vaccine, which is becoming increasingly accessible financially as well, and the possibility of screening and early treatment, we know that cancer can be eliminated. And that was Dr. Etienne Krich of the World Health Organization talking to UN uh, News' Sarah Mbengue. The time is now 8.29 going on 8.30 Central African time. It's time for us to get a quick update with regards to what's happening in the world of news from Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. The government of the Central African Republic and 14 rebel groups have struck a peace deal after talks in Sudan. The Democratic Republic of Congo's president, Felix Tshisekedi, makes his first foreign trips to Angola, Kenya and uh, Congo Republic. And South Africa's International Relations Department says it appreciates the concerns that some Western countries have raised about corruption in the country, but adds that established diplomatic protocol should have been followed. Those are the stories making headlines.
Now, to commemorate the American Black History Month, recognized each year in February, the American Embassy has partnered with uh, South Africa's Market Theatre in Johannesburg to deliver thought-provoking drama to South African audiences. Now, this is part of an ongoing program aimed to promote dialogue and mutual understanding between Americans and South Africans. This year, the Market Theatre will premiere the Nina Simone Four Women play to commemorate the month. And for more on this, we are now joined on the line by James Ngobo, Artistic Director at the Market Theatre. Good morning and thank you very much for joining us. But How are you, man? I'm very well. How are you? I'm fine, my brother. I'm fine. Thank you. And, 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 and bless you for having us in, in, in your program this month. Awesome. <laughs> now, what is Black History Month and uh, what is it all about? Well, when I started as an artistic director at the market five years ago, I introduced um, um, Black History Month. And, and also for me, in the spirit that we definitely need to link our narratives as, as, as South Africans with the narratives of the world. So I did that. And, and the other thing was the continental curiosity. And, and so you've seen that I've been directing works from West Africa. I mean, this year I'm doing a, an Nigerian play called The Fisherman with mm-hmm. Warren Masamola and, and, and Siabo Matwala. So with um, uh, um, Black History Month, I have directed A Raisin in the Sun, a TV piece which was a meeting between Malcolm X and Martin Luther King four days because before uh, Malcolm X was shot. And audiences have really warmed up to... to, to um, um, this type of content yes. that the market presents, and we're the only theater in the country that 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 does this. And so the idea somewhere is that I need to challenge myself as a director, as an artistic director of the market, to challenge the actors who has to pick up these accents. When I do these plays, they are authentically American. Mm, and mm. to challenge our patrons to come to the market to watch stories that echo where we've been in this country or echo where we are now. But you are, the characters you're watching are from Chicago. They're from Birmingham, in, 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 they're from in Alabama, you know. And, it's, and it's, it's really, for me, part of what we yearn for uh, and, and in this country, to finally be of the world. Now, let us end briefly on the Nina Simone Four Women play and uh, how it fits into the narrative of Black History Month. And, and so, so the, the, the piece is about a young Nina Simone. She's like 32 years old. And you remember there was an, this famous incident of the Ku Klux Klan bombed a church in Alabama and killed mm. four little black girls. Mm-hmm. So this is based on a true story. Nina drove there with her brother Sam. Mm. After the incident, went to the church and she just wanted to 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 uh, and, and to have a moment in this church to kind of understand it because she was uh, at that point the evolution of Nina had already started where she says even in the play that 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 she wants to write songs that reflect what was contemporary at that time. Yes. So she, I mean, that trip to 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 the church gave birth to the song that Nina wrote called Four Women." Mm, and mm. and so Nina is 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 in this church at really at at the height. Black people are hanging on trees at that time. And Mississippi, I mean, it, yeah. it's the era where she wrote Mississippi uh, um, God came. and God and the in the play you see Nina interacting with three other women that for some reason also end up running into the church to find solace mm. in the church and the collision of these biographies of these black women, of these carrieros of black women, there's a 
called Sweet Thing, who's a prostitute who works in, in, in the streets, just one of those people who are not involved in what's going on, and she, her agency is what she's eating today. There's a character called Sophronia, who is mixed race, because uh, um, her mother was raped by a white man, and she's, the, she's called the High Yeller, and she finds she's not being accepted on, on the white side and the black side. And there's a character called Sarah, who is a maid, who works in... in and the conversation between these four women is absolutely amazing. And somehow I must tell you, in the previews that we've had, I've just been so... My heart has been smiling seeing a lot of young people coming to watch this play mm. because it is a historical document, this piece. And, and, and I was mentioning to the cast that at that time when, and, and, and that era when Nina went to the church, Nina has made friends with a lady called Miriam Makeba and a guy called Yuma Sagel. After that, she moved to Liberia with the two of them. Mm. And so it's us understanding how interwoven we are to the world than this myopic thing of just saying we're South Africans and sit in the corner. And I must really take off my hat to, 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 to people in Joburg who have really supported this um, vision from the market theater of, of, of just exciting our audiences and surprising our audiences with, and our audiences come and watch the actors they know, like Leratum Velazo, who's Inspire, mm. and people like, I mean, the guy was telling me that he, he watched an omnibus of Inspire, and he comes to the market, and there's Lerato in, 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 in the southern lilt, she does the southern accent, she's absolutely amazing, and that, for me, it's an exhibition of how dynamic and actor she is mm. and and for me being the artistic director of the market theater who's also an actor and all i've always wanted to do with the market was 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 to make our audiences watch the best talent we have in this country tackling the best stories from everywhere and that is why we've got we've got this nina simone it is funny it is thought-provoking and there is a musicality people will sing along to some of the well-known songs of nina and there are songs that are not so well known that are absolutely amazing i've spoken to people who walked out of the uh, after the show and said i'm gonna find that song what album is it in mm. and so and so for me really is 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 is, is we've got to connect with a universal space, and so, that is, and that is what one is always doing theatrically. Now, it's really amazing that you're trying to, you know, amalgamate Black History Month into South Africans. But over the past few years, what sort of reception have you had from South Africans in terms of the Black History Month activities? We, we, we. I mean, a raising the sun was was a runaway success at the market. I did a piece. Um, with the very first one that I did was called Colored Museum, mm-hmm. which was a satire on slavery. And I had Yuma Sayela composed music. And what was beautiful, Bayou wrote music that spoke to the 32 years he lived in America. He wrote slave songs, mm-hmm. not, not mm-hmm. music that Bayou has recorded in his own albums. He wrote... Uh, um, and so had actors like Aubrey Bowie in 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 it, people like Lisey Job, mm. and so audiences are, are every year are looking up to what is it that the market will do this. I'm already thinking of what play we're staging next year, and and it has made us really stand out as the market market theater, as to stand out as a theater that is completely brave. I keep saying to my team at the market, you will never know what works until you put it on. 
Of course. And that for me, it's very easy for a theater to fall into a format and, 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 and say, this is what we do. And when you do that, you're not attracting new audiences. Mm. And mm. you are just being nostalgic and sitting with what you've always done. And I say this with all the humility in the world. We are the most um, 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 diverse and brave theater in this country at the moment, the market theater. We just make work that nobody makes. And, and, and so, it's, it's, even yesterday on a Sunday, I'm standing outside, I'm having a cappuccino, and I see young and old, black and white, on a Sunday, people are coming to the market to watch this Nina play. And Busi Lohai, I looked and looked and looked for an actress to play Nina, and one day Busi walked in, and when she auditioned, I called my office, I said, hold the phone, I found it. Mm, she mm. is. She plays Nina, and I said to her when we started. I said, "My darling, you will never be Nina Simone. Nina Simone has already lived her life. She's gone. What we're doing in this rehearsal is finding the most honest way for us to take our hats off to her." And she just plays. Busi has even found Nina. Nina was terrible. Was a terrible dancer because she was a pianist. Mm. And when she danced, she looked like she was breaking every bone in her body. And Busi has found all of those things. And just the, it's such a nuanced performance that is coming from uh, um, one of our finest actresses. And people know Busi from City Says La, and you, you know they've seen her a lot doing comedy. And mm. you come and see this play. She she's playing a woman who's who's. I mean, at that time Nina is almost going crazy. You must remember that is the era of Hoover. That is around the McCarthy era in in America. That is the time when people like um. Uh, what's his name? Um, Thelonious Monk and and Miles Davis and and all those great stars, uh, black stars, are walking around in fear that they're being followed because Hoover really did have people following these iconic black voices that were there at that time. Ray Charles, Angelo, Lorraine Hansby, raising the sun, and and it's been so beautiful to sit in the in the room and I've got actors who are well read and I I challenge them to read on this period so that we we absolutely paid for its authenticity. And I have a lady called Iris Don Parker who was born in Chicago and she's a Fulbright scholar who's worked in New York in, in those um in Columbia University and Portland, Oregon. This is the fifth time I've worked. I work with her, she sits in the room, and I want, I brief her to help the actors understand the Americanness. Because just getting the accent only is not enough. There's a preciousness that is, 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 is very American. But, and so I sit with her. She's an African-American lady. She is able to make sure that actors are not just speaking a generic American accent. They're speaking as specific to the areas. Mr. Ngobo, thank you very much for joining us and letting us know about um, how you guys at the Market Theatre are bringing Black History Month to South Africa. And that was James Ngobo, Artistic Director at the Market Theatre. The time is now 8.42 Central African time. Let's move on to uh, the arrest of the enlightened Christian gathering conversational church leader Shepard Bushiri and his wife Mary, uh, which did not affect the resumption of prayer and church service at the Pretoria showgrounds yesterday. The Bushiri couple were arrested by the Hawks on charges of fraud and money laundering on Friday and have remained in prison since then. The pair is expected to appear in court today. Neo Makuting reports. ECG Church Sunday services resumed in Pretoria despite the arrest 
of the church leader, Prophet Shepard Bushiri, and his wife Mary on Friday. The church went into recess in December following the deaths of three parish members during the stampede. Weekend prayers and services were also suspended after continuous protest by members of the South African National Civic Organization, Sanko. Terence Baloui, who is a lawyer for Enlightened Christian Gathering, ECG Church, and the Bushiris has expressed delight over the resumption of the services at the church. Today it marks the beginning of our church service uh, after the crossover event. Uh, we're starting our service. Uh, everybody is coming, flogging in. Like we always say that ECG Pretoria is a branch on its own. It should be separated from the mother and the father. The total holistic ECG structure, which is international, that's what it should be understood that Pretoria is a branch, there's a branch in Botswana, there's a branch in Namibia, all other branches Asia, Europe. They always continue without the mother and the father. So this also should not be treated differently. Baloi says Prophet Bushiri's church is deeply disturbed by the arrest of the leader and his wife on Friday. Without drilling into the churches the Bushiris are facing, Baloi says their priority is to secure their release. Generally, the first thing that we need to do is to plan to get, have them released, to have them get out of prison, which will be a way of formal bail application. That, that's our plan. Meanwhile, the Hawk spokesperson, Hangwani Mulauzi, says Bushiri and his wife, who have spent the weekend in police custody, will only be appearing in court on Monday. The pair will be appearing uh, on Monday at the Petrus uh, Commercial Crimes Court. They are still in custody, um, so we will only await the decisions of the court. The judge is there, uh, is facing issues relating to fraud, money laundering, as well as the contravention of the Prevention of Organized Crime Act. So those are the three that uh, are being preferred for now, but there's a possibility that uh, more can be added. The arrest of the Bushiris comes days after his church was cleared by the Commission for Culture, Religious and Linguistic. The CRL Commission ruled that Bushiri and his church were not responsible for the deaths of three people during the stampede last year, December. I am Nemo quitting in Pretoria. 8.45 Central African Time. Let's find out what's happening in the world of economics with uh, Tabiso Lehoko. Good morning. The East African community's heads of state have agreed to consider modalities for the promotion of a motor vehicle assembly in the region to reduce importation of used vehicles from outside the community. The EAC leaders who gathered on Friday in Arusha, Tanzania for the 20th Extraordinary Summit have also nominated Rwandan President Paul Kagame to be the new chair of the organ taking over from his counterpart, Yuweri Museveni of Uganda. Gabriel Zakaria reports. Among the agenda of the summit was the report of the Council on the implementation of nine previous decisions of the summit, including status of ratification of protocols, resolution of long-standing non-tariff barriers, 
and a progress report on the adoption of political confederation as a transitional model of the East African Political Federation. The outgoing chairman of the East African Community Council of Ministers, Dr. Ali Kivijinja, said it was important for the partner state to think of the region before the national interests if they are to support the private sector. Namibia's Finance Minister, Kalesh Leighton, has urged African road funds to strengthen partnerships and invest in strategic road infrastructure to enhance continental integration and facilitate intra-African trade. He said this at the opening of the Africa Road Maintenance Funds Association Southern Africa Focal Group meeting in the capital Kigali, rather Venthook. Schleuten says that the issue of cost efficiency and research funds for roads projects has continuously increased above inflation and is worth their attention. The National Energy Regulator of South Africa nurses public hearings into Eskom's request for higher electricity tariffs will continue in Midrand, north of Johannesburg, this morning. Last year, South Africa's power utility announced that it had asked NERSA for a 15% electricity tariff increase per year over the three-year financial years. Eskom has cited an increase in expenses. Last week, the public hearings took place in the country's biggest township, Soweto, where the community and Johannesburg Mayor Herman Mashaba rejected the proposed tariff hike. The number of Internet subscribers in Uganda have reduced from 16 million in July last year to 13.5 million in September, following the introduction of over-the-top tax, commonly known as social media tax, in July. According to the Uganda Communications Commission report, the number of social media taxpayers also reduced from 8.4 million in July to 6.8 million in September. The tax introduced in the 2018-19 financial year caused public outrage when it came into effect in July last year. Internet users are charged each day to access social media sites like Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp and Instagram. Search engine Google is working on a way for Chrome to do a better job of spoking for fake websites that seek to uh, trick people into handing over personal information. It is concentrating on websites that use letters and numbers to approximate a recognized brand. The work would mean Chrome will warn people that they're about to visit sites it believes are fake. Security firm Wandera said it had a constant rise in attacks using the non-standard characters. The U.S. dollar is trading at 360.21 Nigerian Naira, 10.10 Botswana Pula, 99.73 Kenyan Shilling, and 11.87 Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 365 Brazilian roll, a 65.44 Russian ruble, 71.28 Indian rupee, 6.75 Chinese yuan, and at 13.30 to the South African rand. The U.S. dollar is trading at 76 pence to the British pound, and at 87 cents to the the euro gold is trading at one thousand three twelve dollars platinum eight seventeen dollars pounds as the price of brent crude oil is at sixty two dollars seventy five cents a barrel i'm tabi solohoku for channel africa And before we wrap it up, let's find out what's happening in the world of sport.
This is what is happening. The South African men's under-20 national team Amajidab opened the African Cup of Nations AFCON campaign with a one-all draw against host Niger on Saturday. The host took the lead in the 62nd minute when Bubaka Gumei opened the scoring in front of a packed home crowd. Amajida Sipesi Chemkize leveled matters nine minutes later from inside the box with a header. Amajida coach Tabosinong was not satisfied with a draw. Yeah, well, um, I wouldn't say I'm satisfied. I think, uh, firstly, I want to congratulate uh, Niger and congratulate our boys. Firstly, I think it was a good match for the supporters in the stadium. And, uh, you know, first game of the tournament, you don't want to lose. You want to win. We uh, would have loved to win the match, but again, we can say it's fine. Uh, it was a good team. You know, it was a good team and they are the host. And uh, yes, uh, maybe we didn't prepare uh, better than Niger. Niger were better than us in preparation. And you could see the way they were dominating. dominating. So I could say congratulations to both teams. And for us, it's back to the drawing board. We'll go and fix our team. Amajida will now turn their focus on Nigeria, on Nigeria when they meet tomorrow before playing against Burundi in the last group match. Sinong says they will be fully ready against the West Africans. I think um, obviously we, we just have to uh, wait and watch Nigeria against Burundi, go back to our drawing board, try to fix other things, analyze the game of Nigeria prepare, come with a formation to try and have a chance to win. And uh, our captain is back and uh, we don't have any injuries, which is good for us. And we still have uh, other good players on the bench. So again, we have to look at Nigeria and try to come up with a plan. Uh, So that it's important because it's a must win. Nigeria is a very good team, but uh, I also believe in our team. We have to respect them and plan very well. Britain's Air Accidents Investigation Branch, the AAIB, says the missing plane carrying the Argentinian footballer Emiliano Sala and his pilot has been found. Sala was traveling from France to join up with his new club, Premier League side Cardiff City, in a light aircraft manned by David Ibbotson on the 21st of January when it disappeared close to the Channel Islands. Tributes were paid to the striker on both sides of the Channel over the weekend as he hopes faded he would be found alive. Rugby news, the Springbok Sevens finished fifth in the HSBC Signet Sevens on Sunday in a weekend contrasted by good wins and unfortunate defeats, but still managed to retain their fourth position on the overall HSBC World Rugby Sevens series standings. The Blitz Box ended the tournament well with a 12-10 win over Australia in the fifth-place playoff after earlier in the day beating Spain 33-0. They had started Sunday on a disappointing note, however, losing to England 26-5 in the Cup quarterfinals. Springbok Sevens coach Neil Powell afterwards says the inconsistency in the performances in the Sydney was frustrating. Finally, golf news. Ricky Fowler survived a Navy back nine last night to shoot a 3-over-74, out-dueling Brendan Gray's down the stretch to win the Phoenix Open for the fifth US PGA Tour title. Fowler lost a five-stroke lead on a roller coaster back nine and closed with a high score by a nine and a winner in tournament history. But he still managed to banish some demons at TPC Scottsdale. He held 54-hole lead twice before, including last year when he finished in a tie for 11th. That's your sport news this hour.
Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai And that's how we wrap up Africa Rise and Shine for today. Thank you very much for joining us for the past couple of hours. From myself, Samora Mangesi, producer Pumuto Ramagadza and Khumuto uh, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team. Thank you so much for listening. Should you have any comments with regards to our show, send us a WhatsApp to this number, 27763003327, or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa, or send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za. Now, taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa is King Monada with a song called Marwede. From myself, Samara Magesi, goodbye, God bless, have a good day.
Oh, 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 oh,